Just a word on Ash Wednesday. Um, this is the poem that I told you about last time, I think. Um, Eliot put the world on its head with um, The Wasteland and Truth Rock. Those two poems marked a watershed moment. They really define modernity. I, I know that you know, the scientific community will look at Heisenberg and Bohr's and you know, the, the, the men that um, changed our understanding of physics. But in the social cultural world, Eliot's poetry um, woke everybody up. And the academic community was enthralled with him. They, they, they had not seen poetry. And, and just if you look at Prufrock by itself, to have, to be aware of Dante and what he did in the Inferno and then read Prufrock and be aware that all love poetry has to do with love and then suddenly this guy writes a poem about J. Alfred <laughs> um, and, and writes a love song in the lyric tradition about a man who's in hell shows that he really, he really um, indicted the romantic tradition. Wordsworth, Keats, um, Byron, Shelley, all the Victorians, Tennyson, all those great poets. Because what he did was show that there's this dramatic quality to what's going on with us as humans that has a dark side to it. So he, if you read um, Tennyson's Child Roland to the Dark Tower, which I think is an extraordinary. If any of you know the dark or the Child Roland stories, I can remember reading it to our kids. Child Roland went around the town. Um, it's just lovely. Um, not Tennyson, that the story. Tennyson wrote um, the story. One of the darkest poems I think I've ever read. Set proof rock next to that, and and Tennyson's poem looks Victorian and proper. It's just, you know this is a the ironies in proof rock are pretty dark. So everybody was aware there was something new going on in poetry. And then in the middle of his life, he writes Ash Wednesday. And that whole academic community, which tends to be secular and non-believing, um, began to turn away because this marked a change in Eliot towards his conversion. If you look at Prufrock and the Wasteland, you can already see it's implied because the Wasteland is probably the most severe critique of the modern world that we have. The Wasteland is just that. It's, it's that. It's our world. It's like Dante's Florence. The, the, mod, the, the images of sterility and sexual, sexual engagements where human beings are at cross purposes just using each other. It's, it's a bleak poem, although it has, a, I think, a, a real affirmation at the end. But it, it, it was taken as the image of the modern world. The, the, the modern world is a spiritual place. It's like the images in the um, level of the violence with the sand, remember the burning sand? The, the, the land, I think one of Dante's description was the wasteland. He described it as a, way, a sterile wasteland, barren. So it's already implied. You know, he wouldn't have written that unless he had some sense of the sterility of the modern world. But he comes to this and it marks a conversion. So I'm, what I'm gonna do tonight is read the first three sections, too long to read tonight. I'll read the first three sections and then we'll finish it next week. And I thought as I left, I said to Suzanne when we, when we, just before we left the house, how appropriate, it, it's more appropriate in my mind tonight than it would have been in Ash Wednesday 
because we're starting purgatory. Because this is the moment when, when in a, and you'll see it with the stairway images when he talks about turning the stair. The stair that he's got in the back of his mind is the stairway in purgatory when Virgil and Dante, you know, ascend from one level to the next. So the purgatory is very much present to Eliot's imagination. Um, I thought, how appropriate. Tonight's, we're flying out of hell. <laughs> or, well, maybe, I mean, I, I hope some of us are still struggling with it. It's, I mean, it's a part of, we're, we're human, we're alive here, so. But we're entering purgatory, and this is Eliot's, the wasteland. I'm not gonna say anything about it except this. If you look at proof rock, like the Inferno, you cannot read it without being aware that the <coughs> mode of presentation is irony. And I'll come to that in a few minutes, but I'll repeat it. The mode of presentation is irony. Dante and Virgil stand outside of a situation in which characters are not aware of the stupid things they're doing. Yes? They're all in hell. Yes, right. Lots of them want their stories to come out. Mm-hmm. Only because they're so, they're so blinded by their self-importance, they want everybody to hear how good they are. It's like people who are constantly making themselves the center of things. And lots of other people want to hide. They're both blind, they're still trapped in their own world. So the mode of presentation is ironic. There's some sense of irony in the opening stanza here in Ash Wednesday, but in the rest of the stanza, the mode of presentation is humility. This is about a man who's making a turn. And you can see by the opening lines, we, I don't know if we did Shakespeare, I know one of the classes missed. Was this the class I missed? No, we did Shakespeare. Did we do it? Shakespeare poems, the sonnets. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. If you remember the sonnet on lust, um, remember I told you how how the form imitated the action itself that was broken and fragmented and sharp. Yeah. If you keep that in mind here, what you hear in the first lines is an imitation again of the action of the soul. That this is about a person who's um, uncertain, wavering. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uncertain, waver, halting, looking back. Okay, there's still, he's made a decision, but he's still looking back. I, and I'm assuming it's like most of us, when we, when we commit ourselves to penance, we, we are constantly aware of the world, and we're asking ourselves to give up and looking back. When, when, when Dante enters St. Peter's Gate, you, you remember what the, mm-hmm. the angel says, yeah, do not back, look back. Right. And, and the story of that is, in the Bible, is what? Lot. Lot. Mm-hmm. You remember what happens to Lot? Because she didn't want to give that stuff up. And, and she turned into despair. The thought that she would have to give that stuff hardened her. Mm-hmm. So that whole action of looking back is part of what's going on in purgatory. And we're actually going to see it when Dante gets to the top of the purgatory, when he returns to Eden. So here's a man at that moment of turning, but you can feel the halting, the, the uncertainty. What was the other word I used? Um, anyway, it's in two minds that he's still aware. You know? um, so I'll just say that. So after the, I think there's some irony in the first lines, but after that, the mode is humility. It's a man who's entered a world um, ready to kneel, ready to kneel down. Okay, Ash Wednesday, TSL. Man.
Because I do not hope to turn again. Because I do not hope. Because I do not hope to turn. Desiring this man's gift and that man's scope. I no longer strive to strive towards such things. Why should the aged eagle stretch its wings? Why should I mourn the vanished power of the usual reign? Because I do not hope to know again the infirm glory of the positive hour. Because I do not think, <coughs> because I know I shall not know the one veritable transitory power. Because I cannot drink there where trees flower and springs flow. For there is nothing again. Because I know that time is always time and place is always and only place and what is actual is actual only for one time and only for one place. I rejoice that things are as they are and I renounce the blessed face and renounce the voice because I cannot hope to turn again. Consequently, I rejoice having to construct something upon which to rejoice and pray to God to have mercy upon us and pray that I may forget these matters that with myself I too much discuss, too much explain, because I do not hope to turn again. Let these words answer for what is done, not to be done again. May the judgment not be too heavy upon us, because these wings are no longer wings to fly, but merely vans to beat the air. See his sense of the futility of our vanity, mm -hmm. the, attack, the importance we give this thing. And notice the language, how flat and ordinary it is. You know, that nothing exalted like the Romantics. It's very ordinary, he knows that. But there's this sense of the waste and the futility and the call to renounce and what would be worthy of renunciations, you know, when you make that turn. Because these wings are no longer wings to fly, but merely vans to beat the air. The air which is now thoroughly small and dry smaller and drier than the will teach us to care and not to care teach us to sit still pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death pray for us now and at the hour of our death lady three white leopards sat under a juniper tree in the cool of the day having fed the satiety on my legs my heart my liver and that which had been contained in the hollow round of my skull and God said, shall these bones live? Shall these bones live? And that which had been contained in the bones which were already dry said, chirping, because of the goodness of this lady and because of her loveliness and because she honors the virgin in meditation, we shine with brightness. And I who am here dissembled proffer my deeds to oblivion and my love to the posterity of the desert and the fruit of the gourd. It is this which recovers my guts, the strings of my eyes, and the indigestible portions which the leopards reject. The lady is withdrawn in a white gown to contemplation in a white gown. Let the whiteness of bones atone to forgetfulness. There is no life in them. As I am forgotten and would be forgotten, so I would forget thus devoted, concentrated in purpose. And God said, prophesy to the wind, to the wind only, for only the wind will listen. And the bones sang chirping with the burden of the grasshopper saying, Lady of silences, calm and distressed, foreign and most whole, rose of memory, rose of forgetfulness, exhausted and lice-giving, 
worried, reposeful. The single rose is now the garden where all loves end, terminate torment of love unsatisfied. The greater torment of love satisfied, end of the endless journey to no end, conclusion of all that is inconclusible, speech without word and word of no speech, grace to the mother for the garden where all love ends. Under a juniper tree, the bones sang, scattered and shining. We are glad to be scattered. We did little good to each other under a tree in the cool of the day, with the blessing of sand, forgetting themselves and each other, united in the quiet of the desert. This is the land which she shall divide by lot, and neither division nor unity matters. This is the land we have our inheritance. At the first turning of the second stair, I turned and saw below the same shape twisted on the banister, under the vapor in the fetid air, struggling with the devil of the stairs who wears the deceitful face of hope and despair. The second turning of the second stair, I left them twisting, turning below. There were no more faces and the stair was dark, damp, jagged, like an old man's mouth driveling beyond repair, or the toothed gullet of an aged shark. At the first turning of the third stair was a slotted window bellied like a fig's fruit, and beyond the hawthorn blossom and a pasture scene, the broad-backed figure dressed in blue and green enchanted the maytime with an antique flute. Blown hair is sweet, blown hair over the mouth, blown lilac and brown hair. Distraction, music of the flute, stops and steps of the mind over the third stair. Fading, fading, strength beyond hope and despair, climbing the third stair. Lord, I'm not worthy. Lord, I'm not worthy. <coughs> but speak the word only. Okay, we will pick up here next week. And then, hold on to your hats. <laughs> Despite my wife, we are going to do the four quartets. Actually, I'm looking forward to it because I think you're going to like it. We'll see. We'll see. Okay, let's. There's coffee and cake. Please help yourself. Please help yourself. We're supposed to eat together. When two or three are gathered together for a meal. <laughs> Okay, let's start. Um, I think what I'm going to do is just give you a quick overview schematically before I go back. I want to just spend a few minutes um, pulling together the Inferno, just in a capsule, and then um, um, look at the first eight cantos. But before we do, this is the schematic that we're working with. You know that when Dante started out, he started out to climb the mountain. Yep, remember, yeah. Yeah. by himself alone. And found that he encountered these three beasts, the leopard and the lion and the she-wolf, and is defeated. He's pushed back into the dark wood. And the dark wood, we know, is an image of our lives. It's where we spend our time in the darkness, um, cut off from grace and 
He wants to go to the top of the hill because he sees the sunlight. And I think allegorically, that moment represents that moment when we awake to the immortality of the soul. We want to live forever. And we hear Christ saying, I am life. Come to me. And it's life abundant. So all the things that take away from our own life, that, that diminishes it, are things we want to put away to come into the fullness of that life. But he's beaten back. Virgil comes along and says, you have to go down, and that's where we've been. By the way, I, I don't know if I told you all this story, but let me, when I was in graduate school, did I tell you about when I was writing my dissertation with Louise Kahn? And Louise Kahn was my dissertation director, and I had a job offer contingent on my finishing my, dis, my doctorate and being a doctor. I had, I had to do it that summer. I did the coursework in two, I had the offer of two years when I started, but I had two years to finish it. Nobody finishes their doctorate in two years. <laughs> I did the coursework in two years, and that summer, Louise knew that I had to write my dissertation suit. And she wanted to meet with me to go over it, and I was writing and writing, and I did not want to present her with anything that wasn't good. I, it's, a, it's one of my, the big faults, and I'm too much of a, too much, it's a big sin of a perfectionist. I didn't want to present her with anything that wasn't good. And she finally called me and asked for a lunch meeting. We met in Braniff for a year, I remember. <laughs> she sat down and she knew I read the Divine Comedy. That cunning woman. <laughs> we sat down and had lunch and she said, Bob, you know the first, she said, the first move that you have to make is to go down. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had to give her what I had, even though in my mind it wasn't good. You know, if you're working with somebody you really admire, you don't want to give them anything. You want to show the, the best of everything you've got. And she was saying to me, put away your pride, put away your pride, you have to go down. So remember that what Dante's learning here is to put away his pride, he has to go down, and he has to look at these awful things. And this is what he encountered. And we've gone through them, so I don't want to... But you know the three beasts. What was the beast? By the way, quick quiz. Who was the beast? The first one. Was the leopard. Leopard. The lion. And the sheep. And the cunning. Yeah, okay. Okay, he came out now. He's looked at it. And he emerges on Sunday morning. Remember, the, the Commedia began Monday, Thursday. He enters hell on Friday and goes through, and it takes that day. When he emerges on the shores of St. Peter's, it is Sunday morning, Easter, in 1300. So this is that moment that, that we celebrate when the lights go on in the church, all the lights are dark, and there's the ringing of bells, and, and we're meant to experience this coming into a new life. We enter into that space. It's renewal. We are to wash our faces, put our sins away, be glad for Christ's crucifixion, resurrection, the resurrection. Dante's resurrected. He and Virgil come out. And here's what he has to encounter. He, he has to deal with all the um, people who are waiting to repent. I'll get to that in a minute. And once he gets past them, he comes to the gate of St. Peter's. He sees these three steps. We'll do that next meeting. And then he begins his journey up the mountain that he couldn't go to before. And we talked about this is the same mountain Ulysses tried to come to, remember? That is, it's, it's that mountain, it's, it's, that not, it's, that, it's that approach to God that takes us beyond the knowledge of this world that man can't get to without help. 
That's why Ulysses crashes against them. Is that clear? So it's all that's beyond what we can do for ourselves that is only possible with God's help. That's why Ulysses crashes and dies. Now Virgil and Dante are here. He will begin his ascent of purgatory and he takes on the sins in order. And the sins divide down into three as, as they do in every canticle. Here are the, the, three, the three stages. And it's, you, when we come to the middle of the purgatorial, cantos 16, 17, 18, they are the center. Hold on to this. This is really important. That's the center of the whole divine comedy. Right? You've got 100 cantos. At the very center of it, in the very center of the purgatorio, are those cantos which are devoted to love and free will, human responsibility. They're some of the most remarkable cantos. I mean, the philosophy behind it, to me, is the most amazing thing, one of the most amazing things I've read in my life. And there, Virgil will give his discourse on love, and will say, and I'm not going to go into this right now, I hope it's shocking, love is the cause of all sins. Just hold on to that. Love is the cause of all sins. When in the modern world we think love is always good, Virgil says no. And he will say that the, the sins of evil things, the sins of those things to harm others, to evil, are what's, um, um, what's the word, suffered, done penance for below. Pride and be wrath in that order. And notice it's not anger, it's wrath. Because that wrath is an excess. Anger is rectificatory, I told you. Pride, envy, and anger. Sloth is insufficient love. We don't love enough. And the rest of the sins at the top of purgatory are those things of the world that are naturally good, that we should love, but we love excessively. So this is loving evil. And we'll see what that means. This is inadequate love, and this is excessive love, of things that we should love. These things we shouldn't love. Is that clear? Avarice, things. Should we not love things? Absolutely not. Things are good. Should we not love food? Absolutely not. Food's good. Should we not love sex? No, sex is... Remember, we're right back close to love again. The, the one sin closest to that is love. That's how we entered hell, remember? Francisco and Paolo. Lust is the, is the sin that is dangerous in some way because it most resembles. Maybe most need a forgiving. I, but anyway, these are the, these are the natural goods that, that are inherent in our nature. They're meant to be loved. Think about how different this is from a Protestant world where nature is bad. So this is what will unfold. And if you look at that scheme I gave you, you'll see that lining up with every level are goads and checks. There's a certain prayer, there's a certain blessing, and a certain song. Because in purgatory, everybody is singing. They want to be there, they're glad. They're working together, helping each other. It's the very opposite of what we saw in hell. So you should look at that scheme because it will help you, okay? I don't want to go into them. The two things just tonight to be aware of is, are the goads and checks. Goads and checks are helps for the penitents that they're suffering their sins. A goad is a, a, a spur. 
Um, and the goad is always, at every level, always an image of Mary. Because in her is the perfection of all virtues. Okay? So at every, at every level, the, the penitents will encounter goads and checks that are meant to help them. The goad is an image of the, of the virtue opposite the sin. And the check is an image of the sin itself meant to deter you. So let me just give you an example here. So on the level of pride, it's, it, I love it, it's wonderful. On the level of pride, what we see are all these souls who are bent over because they're carrying these big boulders on their backs. Because they were too proud in life. They were too proud. They didn't bear their burdens. They were too proud. So in hell, I mean in purgatory, their, their penance is to bear burdens, to learn to make them stoop, to put themselves away, to, be, to become humble. When they, when they look into the face of the wall, when they look into the face of the wall, they will see the goads. And they're examples of humility, because the humility should help spur them, right? Inspire them to do this thing. And, and, and think about this. The goads and checks are, are art, all of them. They're artwork in the mountain. So art for Dante is a help. I'm going to, I'm going to qualify that in a minute, but in terms of goads and checks, they're always a help. Isn't that not been true in our class together? The Iliad, the Odyssey, the, you know, through the whole thing, we've been learning to look at virtues, Achilles, Odysseus, Aeneas, how hard it is to be good, to be virtuous, and the images that we've received from these men. And always the most important of the virtues, of all the, the, the variety of virtues at each level, the most important is Mary. And what we, what we, we will be given a passage from the Bible in which Mary, Mary exhibits the virtue of humility. So when the, so, and it's interesting here, the, the checks are images of the sin itself and they're buried in the floor. So if they're bent down, they can't help but look at the sins, that is their own sins. And Satan is so often, you know, the one they've got to come to terms with. It's meant to be a check for their sins. In order to see the, the help, to receive inspiration from the goats, they have to turn their necks and look up. They have, to, they have to work hard to see it. So at every level, there will be goads and checks that are images of the sin itself and the virtue opposite that they're trying to get to. Because Dante understood from Aristotle and from St. Thomas, if we're to correct our sins, we have to go to the opposite way. If, if the sin we're working with is pride, we have to learn to be humble. If our sin is envy, we have to learn to look with different eyes. We'll get to it with each one, but at each one, at each sin, they're, they're working um, to become better at the virtue that answers that sin so that they become the complete human being that God made them to be. Okay? Okay, when he comes to the shores of purgatory, after he meets Cato, he starts to ascend the mountain, and he meets two classes of penitents. 